What does Baylor football have to do this offseason to go back-to-back and win Dave Aranda, his second Big 12 championship? Travis Roeder answers that and more on Locked on Baylor. You are Locked on Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, folks, happy Friday, everybody. We welcome Travis Roeder of Sikkim 365 onto the show. I'm Drake Toll. Hey, also of Sikkim 365, there's a little correlation there. I want to thank you for making Locked On Baylor your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And Travis, my man, the Baylor Bears are defending Big 12 football champions. And I am going to give you the most broad opening question in podcast history. How do they do it again? uh yeah yeah okay you you weren't kidding with the broad question there um i mean i think they just need to essentially just kind of continue the plan that they did last year last year they won because um i mean i think baylor was obviously a great team uh great kind of just depends on how you define it right but right uh for college football teams you know most teams tend to have pitfalls kind of around nearly every corner and they generally win by being great in a few areas that they're so dominant in that they can kind of overpower the opponent. Baylor didn't really have any areas where I would call them uh, dominant last year. Well, that's not true. I would call them dominant in several areas, but it wasn't like an old school Browse team where they just yeah. had a couple of haymakers and then, um, you know, had some weaknesses they had to overcome. They really were just a very, very solid across the board, uh, which is kind of like I was just saying, it's, it's more rare than you might realize. I mean, they were basically a top 30 offense and a top 20, 15 defense all year. Uh, which generally, you know, most teams tend to either have like a top 25 offense or a top 25 defense. The fact that they were really solid across the board was what really separated them. And I think going into this next season, it it really just is a question of kind of continuing that trend, improve a little bit on defense, improve a fair amount on offense since it's their second year under that system now, and just be a better version of what they were last year. And even though they lost some guys, they bring back enough guys to where I think that's a very fair goal. Travis, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you're hitting there is Baylor was dominant in certain areas, but there wasn't necessarily consistent dominance, right? Like early in the season, there were defensive line struggles. You had uh, the offensive line was decently consistent and had a few games in and around like the the Oklahoma State where you're kind of like, oh, what's going on here? And, And so maybe it's that. Maybe it's not that Baylor didn't have dominant pieces, but consistent dominance. Is that where you're going with last year's team? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think by the last year was really a a tale of consistent progression. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people uh, were worried. Like, I think one thing people look at with schedules is they're like, oh, man, like this stretch in the middle of late season, that's going to be real rough to go through towards there. But I think the fact that Baylor's schedule broke out really well last year and that they they had a relatively easy start to the year, you know, you know, yeah. easy again, another subjective term. It wasn't easy to play Iowa state fourth game of the year. Uh, it wasn't easy to play BYU like in their sixth game of the year or whatever it was, but you know, they had most of their hard games towards the end of the year. And that's when they really kind of gelled and became the team that they were became. So like you said, you know, they struggled early on on the line play on both sides of the ball, but by the end of the year, and as we saw in the Ole Miss game, they became dominant. So I don't know if it was inconsistency. I think it was more just, a, a, a pattern, a period of growth that took kind of a whole season to culminate. And then by the end of the season, uh, they had really kind of found who they were and were able to, were able to put that uh, out on the table. 
And then Travis moving into next season, a lot of those players that were key pieces in culminating that, you know, the peak of a big 12 championship at a sugar bowl. A lot of those guys are back in players like Siaki Ika. You have both of your starting quarterbacks back for the five offensive linemen, Dylan Doyle, who's a solid piece, obviously. And then newcomers like Jackson player and Josh white. And those guys will get to, but what I want to do is start with, for me, the bigger question mark of the two sides of the ball right now. And I would actually put that at offense, considering you have two skill positions that are to this point unproven in wide receiver and running back. And to that point where I want to want to pinpoint go first and foremost, running back spot for Baylor is the cupboard bear or does this team have enough to reload and be on par with what they had last season? I don't know if any back in the next 10 years is going to be as good as Abram Smith was for Baylor mm. last year. Uh, that might be overstating it a little bit. Um, I was just a massive fan of Abram. And I think like, you know, hand meet glove when it came to him meeting the Jeff Grimes system, Yeah, uh, the dude was just, he's way more athletic than people realize. He's not a very shifty guy, but as far as just explosion goes, just a very explosive, fast, powerful. Um, and I think he was really helpful in that first year where, you know, the offensive line was obviously leaps and bounds better than it has been any time in the past five to 10 years. But, um, you know, they were anytime you implement a new system, especially on offense, like it's going to take some time for that to gel. Yeah. And I think Abram was the perfect guy who could take the O-line, giving him a zero to a one yard gain. And Abram was able to trans, uh, transform that into a four or five, six yard gain. The difference this year is that the O-line plays can be better, mostly because, A, like you said, they bring back so many of those guys. They've got some really good players, Cleo Keith, Connor Galvin, Jacob Gall. Um, but I think so. I think you can lean more on the offensive line to actually create holes yeah, and not have to rely on the running back to like fight for his life just to get four to five yards. And I think that's helpful because guys like Tay McWilliams that figured a feature really prominently this year aren't going to be as good at like sifting through the trash, which is what Abram was so elite at. Mm. But Tay might actually, you know, he will be better at like hitting the home run and making guys miss the second level. So maybe the backs won't be as good, but I think being offset by the offensive line being better, the run game should be at least just as good. And I would say most likely is going to be a, a, a fair amount better this next year. Travis, then when it comes to the wide receiving core, we had Scotty Swingler on the show Monday who said that this wide receiver core could end up, based on specifically their their rapport in high school, could end up being as good, if not better, than the 2014 group that was you know so notably amazing and goes down in Baylor lore. When you look at this wide receiver group, to me, it's almost, are you fast? Can you run a slant and catch the ball? It, it, do these receivers need to be flashy to fit in this offense? And do they even have those capabilities? Uh, I mean, I guess it just means I would, depends on what you mean by flashy. I mean, do they need to be able to run fast and catch the ball and make plays? You know, absolutely. Right. <laughs> uh, that's the essence of the position. Uh, but I do think that like the Grimes offense, like, any offense is going to benefit from a wide receiver being able to take the top off the defense. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's so helpful. So, and Baylor has literally everyone on the roster is fast. Uh, they actually just lost a receiver, this uh, transfer out Jackson Gleason. And he was kind of a fan favorite, like of people wondering why he wasn't playing because he was insanely fast. Yeah. And my response always was, dude, being fast, isn't good enough to get on the field of Baylor. Like every Baylor wide receiver is really, really fast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the cupboard is full. Um, 
And I think they're going to be looking for kind of an all around wide receiver, which is what Tyquan Thornton provided last year. He was super fast. And yes, he was awesome at taking the top off the defense, but where he really shined was his rapport with Gary Bohannon and even with, um, with Blake Shapin on being very consistent on those kind of standard down concepts where he was just running a slant or a comeback route, making tough catches to get seven yard gains on first downs. And so I think what I'm looking for this off season, and I want to see if it develops in the spring game is like, can they find one guy to where you can build a consistent, reliable connection with the quarterback? And then given the talent in the room, it's like, okay, if you can find one or two guys that can be very, very reliable and good, then you can kind of just bet on the fact that of all the other young guys, you're going to have one or two other guys kind of pop off in a game or two. But I'm really looking for somebody to step up and become the reliable go-to target, which there are many options there. Um, this has already been a long answer, so I won't go into too much further, but I think Hal Presley is a great option there. Um, you know, Armani Winfield's a true freshman, but I've yeah. never been as high on a true freshman as I think I am for Armani, just cause he's so game ready in a way that most college players aren't, um, you know, and then there's a kind of, you know, a slew of other guys like Jalen Ellis and Seth Jones, uh, that also have a ton of potentials, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you can just find one or two reliable guys and then, and then let the rest of the guys make plays here and there. Uh, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Monterey Baldwin, who's a who's a real favorite of mine. He's tiny. He's diminutive. Uh, he's only like five, nine. But I think there's a real potential that he's one of Baylor's two best wide receivers this year. So, yeah, I mean, big room. Let's see what happens. Boom. Write this down. Take a little note. Remind me in case you didn't know. Travis Roeder says it. Covered is not bare offensively at running back or wide receiver. The offense makes it good. The receivers can be explosive. You got it there. Before we get into defense, Travis, I got to let you and everybody else know about Built Bar. All right, Built Bar is the premier way to stay healthy while eating what you may think is a candy bar, right? They have unbelievable flavors, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. New this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. Built Bar has only 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, 17 grams of protein. The candy bars that you eat, 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar compared to Built Bar's four and dozens of net carbs as well. Built Bar is your go-to spot for a healthy way to start every day. Go to built.com, built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Now, Travis, on the defensive side of the football, where I want to start first, Jackson Player and Josh White, question mark, go. What do you think about those two guys and how they fit into this defense and how they can contribute right away? I'll start with Josh White. I think uh, so. Josh is for any listeners who don't know the the most recent linebacker transfer. He came from LSU. He's an extremely highly rated uh, prospect out of high school, committed to Aranda at LSU, and developed a great relationship with him there, which is why he's at Baylor now. 
Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Like, let me see if I can do this short and succinct. Linebacker recruits, finding an inside linebacker is really, really hard at the college level. And the reason why is because recruits kind of tend to come in two flavors. You tend to have your super athletic guy who's currently playing safety or something like that in high school because he's so athletic, but maybe he's not athletic enough to be a college safety. And so you end up spending him down to play linebacker. The problem there is that even if he retains really awesome athleticism, inside linebacker is just a position that requires a ton of instincts and savvy to play. So you're kind of saying, okay, this is going to take a couple of years for him to learn the position and maybe he never will. Um, so those are kind of boomer bust prospects. And then the other guys tend to be guys that played inside linebacker in high school, but they were probably playing inside linebacker in high school because they're not the most athletic guys, right? Mm-hmm. Cause if they were super athletic, they'd be playing quarterback. They'd be playing running back. Maybe they play be playing safety. So there just aren't a lot of guys coming out of high school that are really instinctive that already play the position and are ultra athletes. That's what Josh White is. I mean, the, uh, I, I'm sure many people have heard he ran 22 miles an hour on, on the GPS at a, at a LSU practice. He's yeah. incredibly fast. I mean, super, super fast, 4440 type guy. And that's in a guy that's 6'1, 225 pounds. And because he's been playing linebacker for his whole life, as far as I can tell, he's super instinctive. So he's just kind of a plug and play elite athlete type guy a lot like these LSU and SEC linebackers you see going in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, he's kind of that, that level of athlete. So I think he's kind of plug and play, put him in there next to Dylan Doyle. As far as Jackson player goes, I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised when I watched his tape. I mean, he's like six flat. He has like one of the worst looking bodies you're ever going to see for a defensive lineman, which is why he didn't get a lot of power offers out of, out of high school. But the dude just knows how to make plays because defensive line plays so much about winning with your hands. Uh, it's really kind of a wrestling mono e mono cage match in there. Um, and the dude just knows how to make plays. I mean, I watched him against Ohio state and he was just whipping up on Ohio state's offensive tackles and guards. Uh, so I think he'll fit in very well. It's just kind of another disruptive force up there. I mean, of I've, <laughs> of Baylor's best five players. I think Gabe Hall is probably Baylor's best player right there with Apu Aika right there. Yeah. Number two, probably. And Jackson player probably slides into that top five or six there right there around fourth, fifth or six. I mean, having three of your best players on the defensive line is pretty insane. Uh, so yeah, he'll fit right in. Uh, the question is kind of going to be like, how well does he learn to play that kind of two gapping heavy style that Baylor's been using? Mm-hmm. But I also expect Baylor to kind of adjust to him and say, look, you're really good at making plays in the backfield. He's all about quickness, about beating offensive line. He, because he's not so big, he doesn't want offensive linemen's hands on him for so long. So he wants to get in the backfield. So I think it'll be a kind of a, an adjustment period of him adjusting to Baylor, but also Baylor learning what he's good at so that they can feature him. Travis, then. On the defense, if Baylor is going to win a Big 12 championship, they're going to have to answer the question mark, to me, of the secondary and how you replace mm-hmm. even the hybrid guys that could play in the second secondary, like your, your Jalen Petrie. You could throw out there in coverage whenever you really wanted to. So is that, to you, the biggest question mark of the defense? And then how do you answer the question of what does Baylor have to do to bolster that secondary? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean... I- I, I think you're absolutely right there, Drake. I mean, Baylor's front six is going to be utterly dominant. Um, yeah. the, def, the, the defensive line we just talked about, Dylan Doyle is a phenomenal college linebacker with experience. Uh, now you're plugging in jo- Josh White next to him. So that front six is going to be nasty. And I actually think Baylor's cornerback play is like a very safe bet right now to just be like at least average and most right. likely be pretty good. And so the eyes for me would go all go to safety and it goes to that star position. What are they going to do there? 
because defense is all about avoiding having weak links. Like if you have, if you line up with a dude that can be picked on, it doesn't matter if your defensive line is dominant, if you can just, you know, isolate him and throw the ball to him within two seconds of the snap, every play. I love Devin Neal. Uh, Devin Neal was a backup last year who played a fair amount due to injuries. I think he probably is going to be the best Baylor safety of the past 20 years by the time he leaves. Um, and so I think he's got one spot ironed down. Uh, Christian Morgan is the other guy. I think they need to move him to star, which is what Jalen Petrie played last year because Christian's is not very good on the back end coverage wise. And I think he's kind of an explosive athlete that needs to be close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. But ultimately it's just like, I think they need to kind of iron out what they're going to do there and kind of settle, not necessarily settle on who's going to be the starter, but kind of just like have a plan and, and settle on the style and what they need out of these guys. Uh, because I think it's just a position where like, they just need to not tread water. Uh, that's too strong of a phrase, but just yeah. have some stability and figure out who they're going to play there and how, what they're going to ask of those positions. That way they don't end up being the weak link on the chain that breaks the rest of the defense. If that makes sense. Well, Travis, you have answered my secondary question. You have, of course, with flying colors, given me so much confidence in both Josh White and Jackson player. I will leave you with this. If you had to say today, Friday, April 8th, that w- whether or not the Baylor football team of next fall will win the Big 12 championship again, if you had to put your eggs in that basket, are you confident enough to say yes with what you've seen so far this offseason? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm always the worst for these kind of questions because I, I tend to think of all of these kind of questions as probability games, right? Absolutely. I mean, is there, it's not a 100% or a 0% thing, right? But I think Baylor very safely should be the favorite to win the Big 12 next year. I mean, does that mean you, it's 99% Baylor versus 1% everyone else? No, but, you know, I think, you know, of the top three or four teams or whoever ends up kind of being in that top group of the the favorites to win the conference. Baylor probably should be at the head of the pack with a very solid shot to win the league. Um, I think most commentators are kind of expecting them to take a step back last year after, after losing some key pieces. I think that kind of fails to take into account the fact that it's the second year in the grind system yeah. and really the second real year in the Dave Aranda defense and Ron Roberts defense as well. And I think that's going to kind of end up being a net benefit. And um, really the thing for me with Baylor at the end of the day is they're going to have a leap play on both lines, offense and defensive lines, and they're going to have an experienced, good quarterback. That doesn't happen in college football very often. Uh, the stars, you know, it's a four-year cycle with, with guys leaving for the NFL and all and transfers and everything else. So getting all those stars aligned in one season is very rare. Uh, I don't think it would be a disappointment if they didn't win the Big 12 next year. Like, that's probably too strong. But I think they're, they should be fair favorites. And uh, my expectations is that this is a team that's, you know, marginally better than they were last year, which means competing for a playoff spot. And you should be right there to win the Big 12 at the end of the year. You heard it here first from Travis Roeder quoted on him. Baylor is not going to pull an Iowa State or a Texas next season. The Bears are going to be right back where they've been. Travis, thanks so much for joining, as always. Just, dude, like you have made, I I will say it, the best mind of anybody that covers Baylor football when it comes to breaking everything down across the board. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it, Drake. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to thank the folks at home for trusting me by going to betonline.net, following my advice 
with betonline.net. It's your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. The Masters are this weekend. Place bets on the Masters if you'd like to. It's your continued source for all your sports wagering information, live betting, esports, scores, Vegas-style casinos. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at BetOnline, where the game starts. Again, BetOnline.net. All right, folks, welcome back to Locked On Baylor. We are now joined by the head coach of two top 10 teams. It's Michael Ford, the Baylor men's and women's track coach. And coach, before we get into it, I want to thank everybody out there for making Locked On Baylor the number one listen every single day and making today's listen an extra special one with you on the show. Someone who's got the number five men's team in the nation, the number seven women's team in the nation, and that's exactly where I want to start. What the hell is in the water in Waco right now, and where did this come from? Well, just I think just the the hard work, the the student athletes. I think going into the season, we talked about we had some goals to set. Um, one of the big things we talked about was being in the top fifteen in the country year in year out, and um, the the kids have been focused on what the this, this season brings and um, kind of see the hard the hard work they've been putting in. And so now we got a top five team on the men's side and the, and the top 10 on the ladies with a number seven ranking. And we just got to keep keep pushing them. And hopefully we'll we'll we can finish there at the end of the season in June. Coach, when you got that initial ranking on the men's side of number two in the country, that week one index, did you see that coming? Were you expecting a top three spot or did that kind of blindside everybody? Um, I think it's. I didn't, I didn't think we were going to be ranked that high. Um, but the way, the way our college rankings work, it, they, um, they base it on everything is very volatile. So every week it changes every week. Um, but it's based on what your, your student athletes are doing that week um, and how they're performing. So when, when, of course, when we have Texas relays and we have three freshmen all put down number one marks in the country, that elevates you up really high. And then our four by four, I think at the time they were, they were ranked number four in the country. So that's 34 points, usually 34 points. will get you in the top five um, at the national meet. So when I saw it, I, I at least thought we'd be at least in the top 10. Um, but two, I was like, well, I kind of got blown away when I saw the top 10 or top like number two. Yeah. I mean, uh, what a way to start off week one. And you mentioned it. You got three guys, 400 meter hurdles, the javelin and the long jump, three freshmen who all come out and place number one in the nation in week two of the outdoor season. And again, was that a shock to you to see three true freshman guys at number one in the nation just right off the bat? Um, I honestly, the, the javelin wasn't, I mean, Zaza, uh, prosper has been, um, he was the fourth in the, in the world last year, um, at under 20. So we knew where, what his capabilities were. Um, I think, uh, Nathaniel Ezekiel in the hurdles, he, he actually PR'd with his time. He ran a personal best with his time. So it was a, it wasn't a, a major shock, but it, it, it just showed us that his training has been going really well. And then, uh, Johnny Brackens in the long jump. He was an All-American indoor, um, so he's coming off indoor season. He had some really big jumps in, at Texas Relay, so they weren't really shocked so much, but I think the Javelin one wasn't a shock. The other ones, we at least thought they would at least be top five going in uh, after week two. 
On the women's side, too, you had a team that originally was at 11. They moved up to seven this week in the latest rankings after the home meet this past weekend. What is it about this team's experience that makes them so good, a la runners like Aliyah Miller? Well, I think we, we have a, a, a pretty good balance on the ladies' side. I mean, we have some really good um, ladies in the field events. thought our uh, coaches have done a great job on the recruiting side, on that side. And I think – and you also had the experience like Aaliyah Miller, who opened up in the 800 and ran really well. Um, and then you had Mariah Ayers, who who ran 22-7. Um, and it's the, I think the third fastest time ever at Baylor. Um, she's like number three in the country right now. And then you have Kira Nugent, who's running really fast in the hurdles. And so I think when you have that nucleus and you have the supporting cast around them, I think that's why they got a ranking of seven this week. So this past weekend... 21 wins in the home opener. The crowd was outstanding. It was a beautiful day for track and field too. What were your main takeaways from that first meet in Waco, having everybody there and your first meet as a head coach in Waco? Well, I'll just, I was appreciated one that God gave us great weather. Um, normally that first meet, the weather is not as, as, as good um, we're always expecting a little rain, a little cooler weather. But I mean, when you have 80 degrees and then the crowd, uh, the, the fans at the first home meet was great. I expected the crowd that we had normally for the Michael Johnson meet coming up, but that we, we had a really good turnout. Um, I also think that the um, that student athletes were really focused to put on a good show at home. And, um, and then we go, we go from there. And I, I think, Having a, having that big support with the fans and being at home, being able to sleep in your own bed and have to get up early, things like that always help. Yeah. Now, I don't mean to spring questions on you that you don't have written down in front of you, but do you know off the top of your head how many school records there are that could be broken? And if you've already beaten that this season, because it feels like just one after another after another in every event. Folks are setting PRs, school records, meet records, facility records. It's like a record show, and we're you know not even a month into the season. Yeah, I don't have it written down. So, but I know we've some of the records. Some of the records are going to be hard to break. Um, but I do know this. I think the as you keep improving, the records the, they will fall. Um, I think the. I'm really looking forward to seeing if our jump records can be broken. Um, if Johnny can jump 27 feet, I mean, cause we, of course we've never had anybody jump that far, but could he do that? Um, could we have the women's 200 record broken? Could even the 400 record Jeremy Warner, Jeremy Warner set at the Olympics when he ran 44 flat, can someone break that record? But I think the, the, the big take away for me is making sure that we stay healthy and then we're ready to run in June at, at the national championship. If this team, and I know it's still early, but of course, you know, coaches are always looking at the apex. How do you build this team up to meet its maximum potential? If this team does stay healthy and they're at that max in June, what is the ceiling on both the men's and the women's side? Yeah, I think if, if, we, if we stay to the course and everyone does their part, that's the thing that we always talk about. What can you do? Let's focus on what you can do to be the best, the best student athlete. Then I think we should be able to finish in the top 10 um, on the men. Both sides can finish the top 10. I think 
we have to hit really well. Like if those three freshmen do really well at nationals, I can see us getting maybe top four and then we can bring a trophy home. I, wow, dude. It's, I, you know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't have this question in my, in my list for you, but I, I want to know when you just get a chance to sit down and take a deep breath and take in, wow, you know, I, I'm the head coach of the Baylor men's and women's track program. What has that meant to you, even this early on, through all the success these teams already have? Well, it's a it's always been a huge honor. I think I, I, I still go back to um, how our how our track team was built. I mean, Coach Art spent so many years building this program, and uh, and then Coach Harbert took over. And one of the things that Coach Coach Harbert was able to do that Coach Hart couldn't do, but it's was Coach Hart was able to win a Southwest conference title. And then coach Harbor was able to win a big 12 title. And I think for me is just, I, I, I want to continue to make sure that we're consistent year in and year out um, with the team at the national meet. And then also consistently top three or possible try to win it another, another big 12 title. Um, I think it's, um, it's doable. I think you just got to get the right pieces in at the school um, and get the right kids and, and, and make sure that they, they follow your vision um, and keep challenging myself, keep challenging our staff and keep challenging the, the, the student athletes to be better than what they think they can be. You mentioned coach Hart and coach Harbor, two guys who have, have really anchored the Baylor track program. I hope you know that you're like locked in the next 20 years, right? Does that, <laughs> has that like set in yet that you're in the same office space for the next at least 15 yeah, yeah, yeah. My contract, my contract's to five right now, so I have to keep getting it renewed and renewed. Um, but that's always a goal is to 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 take this team to another level. Um, and I think I think the coaches are are backing me enough to we we get the right recruits to be here um, to do well and um, just keep the momentum going. I love it. Well, Coach, thanks so much for coming on today. Pleasure talking to you as always, and congratulations on the season's success so far. But it's not over. Got to keep it going, right? Yeah, of course. I always say that we got to finish. Like we we set the goals, and the middle, the middle, like right now, the grind is where we are right now. And so we just got to keep grinding, um, and then get ready for the NCAA's and the regional meet and the Big Twelve meets that are coming up in in May and June, and um. Got to just finish. Like I tell them, we got to finish it though. Boom. Pump it right in my veins. Coach, thanks again for coming on today. Always a pleasure. Oh, no problem. All right. I want to take time to thank those who have made the first two weeks of Locked On Baylor absolutely great. I've had a blast. I hope you've had a blast. Keep listening. Share it with your mom, your dad, your grandma, your aunt, your dog, whoever. Whether you're listening from Winnipeg or Waco, thank you for making Locked On Baylor your number one listen every single day. Now, make your second listen Locked On NFL Draft. Ryan Tracy, former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker, bring the draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. That is Locked On NFL Draft, free and available wherever you get your podcast, Folks, thanks again for a great week. We'll see you on Monday for a huge show. You're not going to want to miss it. This has been Locked on Baylor.